The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. Navy Federal has been helping the military community for over 90 years. You can learn more at NavyFederal.org. On his very first foot patrol back in, it was 14 days to the day of the first IED. Um, he was the eighth guy taking a wall, and it was an old Russian landmine that had been hooked up to two 15-gallon jugs of homemade high explosives. And it was just game over. So he, um, his left leg was immediately blown off. Most of his left arm was blown off. They actually ended up sewing it to his back during his medical flight, which was super cool. Um, he's burned over about 30% of his body, um, you know, damage to his airway. His eardrums were blown out. Um, it was just, just significant polytrauma. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Don't buckle up, Buttercup. Welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit Podcast. Thank you guys for listening in. And please, if you haven't yet, go check us out on social medias at team underscore never quit. Alrighty, let's kick it off to our Patreon question of the day, which is, what sentence can you say now that would seem totally insane 20 years ago? Mm. I'll kick it off. Go All ahead. right. All right, I would say, hey, guys, you want to go uh, meet up in the metaverse? Yeah, I still don't know what that means. <laughs> I do. <laughs> That's good because it didn't even exist. You're yeah. talking about saying it's talking about yeah, stuff that didn't even exist. Yeah, we can go, all day we, on we can that. go technology, whatever, whatever it could be. I would say, um, can you get me an Uber to X restaurant? Chick-fil-A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. An Uber to Chick-fil-A. I, so my turn? I yeah. think I would say, like, Alexa wakes my kids up. I mean, that's just, who's Alexa? How about that? <laughs> exactly. What is, what, is, what is that? <laughs> yeah. Like, if we were in uh, Back to the Future... And we went back sure. 20 years. To 1955. Yeah. yeah. Back in the day when you would see somebody stand on the side of the road just talking, at the, talking to themselves, they would be crazy. Now everyone does no. that. E- everybody does it. I think the sentence I would be is like, my twin brother's a United States congressman. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would have never, ever even thrown that line out back in the day, man. Now it's kind of pretty. Of course, we're in, we're in an upside-down world for sure. What you guys got? Well, can you believe that 20 years ago you were in your 20s? I was younger than that. I feel no. Like my math's not that good. Got You're almost 30. That. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you wouldn't be too dangerous. You got, you got to have That's it. Yeah. Um, I think it's one of those phrases that you end up saying to the kids, like, don't lick your brother or get off of the dog, Don't please. lick your brother. Yeah, like, <laughs> stop doing stuff. Don't do weird things. Like, there's a lot of statements that come out of my Make mouth. Make good decisions. Yeah. I say that to my kids every day when I'm driving out of school. Make good decisions. Yeah. I never said that back in the day. Yeah, that's true. I say to my husband all the time, like, did you charge your leg? Is your leg plugged in? And that's actually like a good point. I, I sometimes people hear me say that and they're like, what did you just say? And I said, his leg is his leg charged. Is it plugged in? <laughs> that is that's crazy. That is a really crazy line. Yeah. The world is upside down. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one, Hunter. That came from Patreon. Yes, it awesome. did. Okay. All right, Sarah, let's get into your story. So how we like to do it on the podcast is take it back and tell us who you are as a person, like where you grew up and just a little bit about you, whatever you're willing to share. And then um, you can just roll into kind of your story as an adult, how you met your husband, what it was like as a military wife. And then we can talk about how you got involved with being like this... um, underground <laughs> get shit done girl because <laughs> you definitely have well, a reputation I for think, that for sure 
I, I think really it's like the girls who are told they talk too much in school. I have made a career out of it. I mean, that's where like when I hear about my daughters, I'm like, gosh, that's all I do all day. Um, I'm an, I'm the oldest of three girls and now I have three girls. And I think that, you know, first daughters can get stuff done. Like that is for sure. You have a problem. You just, you have, you know, the oldest daughter figure it out. Um, but I grew up in Rhode Island and um, loved it. The ocean Whoa, wait, state. Oh, really? Here. I've never met anybody yeah. from there. Have we? That is I a know. lot. Like, I just have never met anybody from there. <laughs> it's because it's beautiful it's, up there. It's, it's beautiful. Have you been? I have. I've actually had to is do the flight from Rhode Island to met? San Diego. It's the longest one on the planet of Earth, I think, because it was felt like I was stuck up there. But yeah, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So I grew up there, Ocean State. People you know, living in North Carolina for so long now, people say to me, oh, like you're from Long Island? And I say, no, Rhode Island. Like, mm. is a state, people, you know? <laughs> and um, but so my husband and I met in high school there um, at a really small school. And we're like 14, 15 years old. And um and the rest is kind of history, but you know I can give you a deeper dive on any one of those subjects. So when y'all were growing up, did you know immediately when you were dating that yeah, you y'all were same town? Him? I mean, same grade school kind of deal. It was high school. It was actually a, a boarding school. Um, Mike, my husband, he was a boarding student. I was a day student, so he lived there. Um, and no, I did. He was so shy. I mean, he was just so shy. So I didn't. I didn't know what the future would hold, but it's uh, it's been an adventure ever since. Oh my gosh! So, were you on the ocean or not? Yeah, we grew up in a town, Barrington and Newport, and it's right on the ocean. So I grew up like I sailed. Um, we were on the water a lot, um, and then even living there as a young adult, like I had three dogs, and they would swim every day at the beach. That's the only thing about living in North Carolina. I do, you know, in Charlotte, I should say, I miss yeah. being near the ocean. So if your date, if you did you actually start dating or you just met him? Nope. We were, school? we were really good friends. I dated somebody else all through high school. Okay. Um, and again, it was a really small school. So that was kind of funny. Like, um, like options started, kind of thing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. I come from a small um, school. I know exactly what that is. You do. You do. It's so true. So no, Mike was real shy. Like I knew, I knew he liked me mostly because his mother would always tell me, you know, that was like the kind of giveaway. Um, but we were just really good friends. Like he did all of my biology dissections for me. He would do like all the squeamish stuff I didn't want to do. He did it. And, um, we're really good friends. And then that friendship kind of slowly turned, um, into more. And then you, what happened after that? Did he Hold decide? On, as far as, for, I don't want to interrupt y'all's conversation, but as far as guy code goes, does that work? Like when we do that, <laughs> like when we intervene? And I don't do, know. I have no experience. I, I don't know. It, in that case, it did. In that case, oh, yeah. all right. So, so it does work when we when we guys try to attempt to do like that. I got young boys now. I'm trying to teach them because apparently I gave my oldest boy some advice on how to approach women, and it was a bit aggressive. Oh right? yeah. He was like, "How do you go on a date with a girl?" I was like, just go tell her we're going on a date. You know, something like that. Yeah, you know and the girl I mean? was like, "You're not going to tell me what to do." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "So a lot of this advice helps." <laughs> yes. Yeah, some of that might help. Oh my gosh. Okay, so. Did he decide he was going to go into the military young or when did y'all decide that that was going to be your life, your path? He did. So we were um, we were juniors in high school during the events of 9-11 and he made a pact with two other buddies. And and most high school pacts are a really dumb idea. And he really wanted to be in the 82nd. He was so proud to do so. And um, he had a pre-existing condition. So he had to have a few very painful surgeries just so that he could enlist. That's how committed he was um, to joining. And so, you know, at first he um, he went to Benning. He went to um, Airborne School. First he went to Korea for a year. And then um, and then it was his dream come true. He went to, um, he was in the 82nd and they went to Afghanistan. And at this point, had y'all start dating when he was actually yeah. enlisted? What got him fired up about that? I'm always curious as to... About I mean, 82nd. Yeah, especially that. That's that's yeah. a particular... Most guys, when we go in, like, when you well, seal, and like, well, they, they have an idea. But for him to pack up is one thing. To go get some surgeries to continue... Are they still boys? They still hang out? They're, they're still good friends. They're they still good be. friends. So they have to be. I mean, one of his friends who... Um, Sean was the first one who was there. And so, and he had just gotten out of the army about six months earlier. And when Mike woke up and he's coming out of the coma and he's pulling his tubes off and stuff, um, the first thing he said, he he said to Sean is you need to go back in. And Sean did. He re-enlisted within 48 hours of um, 
of my getting to Walter Reed. Oh my goodness. Okay, so let's take it back to um, he's. I know I skipped a whole yeah, bunch. Sorry. I know. I know. So we're this. you're in. Let's get to the point where you you're actually dating and you get married. Tell us about that. So we actually got married during his um, time at Brook Army Medical Center in Texas. So I was kind of adamant that I did not want to have a wedding until um, we could actually plan a wedding. And so that time was a little bit clunky. We um, Mike did his confirmation as an adult within the Catholic faith. He went through RCIA. And um, that was a very long process as well. We got married at the parish where John and Jacqueline Kennedy were married in Newport. It's just beautiful. Um, but it was really important to us to be married at our home parish. So that that took a little longer than we had expected. Wow. Marcus just yeah, did we that. Know all about that. <laughs> I just That's a there. labor of love. Yeah, that's, right. That's, a labor. that's right. He did RCIA and he got all of his sacraments yeah. last Easter. I love that. Yeah. Um, I'm still a rookie. Um, That is a really big deal, though. I mean, to as an adult and to have a career going on at the same time. I mean, to go through it's a huge commitment. It's a lot of hours that you put in to do that. um, Mm -hmm. That shows his commitment to you. And yes, yeah, that's awesome. So he went straight out of high school. He yeah. Well, he no. It took him about. probably two years before he could actually enlist. I mean, he had to go through, I think oh, he had four check, surgeries that, yep. um, before he could join. Get in, then gets to the 82nd. Y'all, and all, were all his buddies there at the same time as well? No, they didn't go to the 82nd. They went, um, I don't know, di- different army units. And, um, but he, he loved every minute of being in the 82nd. And what, so he goes into the 82nd and is he have a specialty? I don't know much about. Yeah, he was 11 Bravo. So just, you know, infantrymen. Um, okay. And they went to uh, Southern Afghanistan, Argandab Valley area, um, August 2009, and he was injured twice in April of 2010. So he was about nine months into his first deployment, one and done, unfortunately. Um, obviously, you know, he he wanted a, a lifetime in the military. So there was just, there was so much loss. There's that initial loss. And then um, he tried to continue on active duty, but that process um, you know, with his injuries being as severe as they were, was was just impossible. Can you tell us about his injuries? What happened that day? I, I can, and and so April tenth, twenty ten, was the first time he was injured, and I and I actually just shared with my daughters the other night that um, that their dad was injured twice because I often forget that part of the story, but I think it speaks so much to his character. So he was injured the first time he was riding as a gunner. They hit a roadside IED and he was ejected out like in the turret, um, like 30 feet, you know, he twisting in the air. Everybody kind of thought he was a goner and um, he was badly banged up enough that they medically evacuated him. So he went to Kandahar at that point and he was given the choice to go back to the United States to heal or to return to the unit. And I think the preference from family would have been, of course, to come on home and heal. And um, at that time, they had just taken so many casualties. And so he went back in and on his very first foot patrol back in, it was 14 days to the day of the first IED. Um, He was the eighth guy taking a wall. And it was an old Russian landmine that had been hooked up to two 15-gallon jugs of homemade high explosives. And it was just game over. So he, um, his left leg was immediately blown off. Most of his left arm was blown off. They actually ended up sewing it to his back during his medical flight, which was super cool. Oh um, he's burned over about 30% of his body, um, you know, damage to his airway. His eardrums were blown out. Um, it was just, just significant polytrauma. And as you all know, you know, when a medevac is called in, there's different classifications for that service member. And Mike's medevac was called in as very seriously injured, expected dead on arrival. And um, I was telling the first hurdle he jumped is that he was not dead on arrival. He, he flatlined several times during the flight, um, but he stayed in a coma through Afghanistan to Germany to Walter Reed. Oh my gosh. And when did you get the call?
So the middle of the night, um, and I had a like a pink razor flip phone <laughs> at that time, which I thought was the coolest thing. They were and I, I, razor flip. Phone. Yeah, they were. I, I mean, one. I kind of think they they really were. Um, and as my mother in law, and and I thought that everyone was referring to an old incident because he had just been injured. And so as I'm trying to it, it kind of explain this is old news, I'm realizing the extent of the injuries and that this is a new injury. Mm. Um, so and then, you know, when I was going to see him, it was just, um, you know, she wanted to make sure that I knew what I was, you know, we weren't married. So like that I knew what I was walking into. And Michael is just so humble and selfless. And I knew I knew that was not a life he wanted for me. And in fact, he many, many times during that early period told me that. Oh, my gosh. So huh, yeah. he got banged up and then y'all got married. So yep. you're a unicorn. Yeah. There are not too many of y'all running around. There were a lot of, you know, there were a lot of wives who left, right, at Walter Reed oh, and Nancy. Oh, yeah. There Watch were. Them. There were. I can't, I can't judge them. I really can't. And I, and I don't think we should. I think that ultimately, um, no, we're not, we don't say anything about them, but what we do say, we talk about are y'all. Yeah. The people that stay. Just because you don't say one thing about the other, it's not downgrading anybody, but don't, you can't get on to me about complimenting somebody and staying around as a, that's a, that's a hell of a thing. Mm -hmm. And he went back and this, this is the thing. This is how you know God stepping in. So he got busted up and then the first one back in got hit again. Mm -hmm. yep. You know the odds of that happening? No. That, that's how you know when you're not no. behind the wheel. That kind of thing happened to me. Yeah, I got my ass kicked, and I went back in and got kicked again. So I was like, okay, maybe, you know, I'll do this. <laughs> right. right, right. But, you know, that sense of um, that, patri that calling, that patriotism, um, I mean, that was all he wanted to do is he wanted to serve. And so um, I never knew he'd pay such a high price for it. And it even sounds naive now. We're almost 13 years later. And um, his his injuries, he's had such significant declines. Um, it, it's It's been horrific, more than I could ever have. Like a worst nightmare would have not thought it went the way it has. Um, but I look back to how naive I was at really thought, okay, we're going to get a prosthetic leg and he's going to be on his way and I'm going to learn to push him in a wheelchair and it's, and it's all going to be okay. So at this point when he's injured, y'all are dating though, right? There's, it's not just a no. friendship. You were actually no. dating. So there was a romantic, you were actually being romantic at this point. And you oh, yeah. had to learn how to adapt to all sorts of things. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you, when you saw him, what was that like for the first time? Um, I mean, it was just, it was just, he was Michael and thank God, because I was so worried and nervous about seeing him, about what that would be like. And, um, it, it was exactly the same. Wow. That's, I mean, that shows a lot about you when, so how long was he in all of his, you know, at Walter Reed and Bamsey and all of that? He spent three years at Bamsey. Um, and so when I would go back and forth from Rhode Island to, to San Antonio, learn to love Texas, um, and really just got used to, like, I would have to psych myself up sometimes going into the hospital. I had never been around someone who, you know, had these severe burns or these injuries and everybody had them there. I mean, it was oh, like, yeah. you couldn't walk hitting someone. The burn ward's a different story altogether. Mm -hmm. The ones that get put in there, that's, that's a different story altogether, man. Wow. Okay. And so at, kind of walk us through that journey, what that healing was like and, when you decided to get married and all of that? Um, I mean, we decided to get married. I think it was more a formality at that point. So, and then I started just saying, well, you know, he officially asked me to marry him on one of his first outings out of the hospital um, on the Riverwalk in San Antonio. And he actually handed me a Bible before he handed me an engagement ring. And, you know, he said to me that it was going to be, you know, much more important than any ring was going to be that we, that we really understood that starting a journey of marriage together, the most important thing we could do for one another would be to make sure that the other one, you know, lived a life to get to heaven eventually. And, um, and just that our holiness would always be need to be more important than our happiness. And um, I've had to, I've had to rely on that alone, obviously, in the last few years, and just kind of remembering all of that for both of us. Um, but it was a, it was a long journey. It was a lot of, you know, up and down learning brand new things, 
I never, I never thought that these systems would be so broken. The DOD medical care was phenomenal. I mean, it was truly, it saved his life many, many times because he spent, um, gosh, he spent quite a few weeks on imminent death status. So he was, you know, not expected to live and, and the breakthrough and the advancements of battlefield medicine are incredible. And my only prayer is that what happens at home will start to move in tandem because we're saving these guys, thank God. But there is a society and these families who are just not prepared to receive them that way. Um, And so there was a lot of trial and error, highs and lows. And um, in 2013 or late 2012, we went back to Rhode Island. And I I was so ill-prepared for what was to come. So I called the Providence Rhode Island VA and I said, you know, we're going to come in and he he needs a prosthetic line or he needs all this stuff. And they said, we don't have his name. We don't have any record of him. You're going to have to try to get an appointment with a primary care physician. And so I had to, I went on YouTube and I learned how to pack his wounds by watching YouTube videos. Oh my God. And my dad and my dad and the fire department were carrying him in and out of the house. Um, because we didn't have a ramp. And so, um, and then his only prosthetic leg broke and I duct taped it for 57 days while I waited for someone at VA to sign a piece of paper authorizing repair or replacement. We're going to have to get him a duct tape sponsorship. <laughs> I know, right? Commercial. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. It worked. Oh, I, I, I bet it did. <laughs> Stuff fixes everything. Good job, girl. <laughs> That is crazy, though. So have you taken the bull by the horns and actually tried to get things done for home health, like home care, after once they're released from the hospital? It's So today's VA is a much better VA than it was 10 years ago. But I think what we see is like with different administrations and, and different people in charge, the priority of where VA falls and yeah, like, sure. you know, where care to our nation's severely injured falls. It really like your mileage may vary. And I have I've lived it and I've seen it, you know, for the past decade plus. And it's disappointing to see that. Veterans, they should be an issue that are, it should be purple. It should be that every single American can rally behind this population, but they're just not a priority sometimes to some leaders or some officials. Um, And it's evident by, you know, how VA is at any given time. Oh my gosh. That's probably the barometer actually. Mm -hmm. And to see, I mean, the the, the generation ahead of us, their war messed them up. Vietnam messed them up. The baby boomers, they hate each other. And like yeah. one would get in there and push down. You could tell they were thrown out. My VA experience is awesome. And somebody coming behind me was terrible just because that had switched. You're right. It should be purple. Anybody who gets busted up, I, you just go into any care facility and get, and get, get your, your treatment. That's, 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 that's how it should be, period. We got enough yeah. money floating around and not enough veterans to where that even shouldn't be even an issue. Well, the super cool thing living in Rhode Island is that we were in a Navy town and, you know, Mike was Army, but the Navy um, in Newport, Rhode Island, they they heard that he was there. And obviously, you know, he's like decades and decades younger than any of these other retirees and the Navy and, and the Navy hospital specifically, like they grabbed him and they took care of him like he was one of their own while we waited for VA to kick in. Oh, that's so good. It is a way too, man. You can tell when you walk into different facilities. I know it's crazy to sound, but it it is like walking to a different house. It just depends who's working there (laughs) and who's who's passionate about it. Because there's some, I mean, that goes with like the USO too. You go into some and they're like so rude. You can always tell when there's been a lull without wars, but we just finished up two two of them for 20 years. So I I would imagine this stuff's going to start ramping back up. I mean, you already see it. Our guys and girls are coming in to the political realm, fix and, and the and the wives, especially the guys who got busted up. When you say mm-hmm. the medical treatment is the way it is uh, now, as opposed to ten years ago, that's because we were getting hurt, and it, it had no choice. It had to catch up. But it's scary because, like in these hospitals, you know, we did the rescue of Benjamin Hall, the Fox correspondent who was severely injured in Ukraine last year, and then you know I helped his family navigate through these challenges. Secretary Austin did a special designation to allow this Fox correspondent to recover in a military hospital, and so just that. walking through that with his family, but realizing the doctors that are there that have these twenty years of blast injury experience, they're being some of them are being pushed out, some of them are being retired out, some of them just, you know, timing out, but we're losing that experience that we, that we, it is essential to our national security, our readiness, that we have the ability to treat these injuries. Hopefully those guys come back in that GS position. You got to pay, pay them. 
Right, yeah. but I mean that—that's that OJT right there. That on-the-job training when them guys get and girls get from just working in, in at young doctors in the theater when we first mm-hmm. started having to do that, and then all the way through the clinical. Sure. So, as a wife and caregiver, what would you, if you could, just create your own system for the VA when there is an extreme injury like your husband's? What would that look like with him coming home? Well, I think there needs to be permanent designations for certain conditions. So, you know, now we're in a very different point. But for example, you know, Mike, he doesn't, he's totally dependent on another grown up for what's called his activities of daily living and his independent activities of daily living, with the exception of he feeds himself. So if someone, you know, cuts and prepares the food, he does put it in his own mouth. Um, But even he has supervisory care when he's eating. So he needs a shower chair and he's got open wounds. So he needs a new shower chair every three to six months. And until about a year ago, VA was telling me again, well, we need you to bring him in, which mind you, it's a three hour round trip for me. We need you to bring him in so that we can check to see if he still has his injuries. And I said, if he still has his injuries, I mean, like, are you looking at his chart? He's his arm and leg were blown off. Like he's a total, you know. And, and unfortunately, common sense, it, it seems that some people, not all, but some at VA would rather fail following the process than succeed by deviating from it. Yeah, but you can't, um, a lot of times you can't blame them because they're, 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 they're so reprimand. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Does he still have the injuries? Yeah. I've, I've heard that question. I'm like, what are you yeah. talking about, man? It's like you can't grow back. Yeah, yeah it's just, I mean, his leg can't grow back. But they have to people. read it the way it's, it says it. And, and it's some of them get put in that. But I, it's a it's a funny storm that, that we're in. Of course, every, we're going through a funny storm right now. But So what would you – so you would say that there needs to be like a permanent – instead of these – what do they call it? TDRs or something like that? The temporary disability – yeah, I mean, there's so like Mike's obviously 100%. There's a whole scale beyond 100%. But there needs to be like, I'm talking about the hospital at the medical side of the house, it needs to be some sort of permanent designation. Like if you need a prosthetic leg, you're always going to need a prosthetic leg. Yeah, so yeah. if you need liners for that leg, you don't have to get checked again to see if you still need those. Yeah, liners. you just go get it or they send it to you. Yeah, right. right. Absolutely. And that's what DOD does. DOD does it right. Sure. That's the problem is the gaps when we when we get out. Because yeah. you want to talk about exactly. either keeping you in line or getting you out of there, we can do that quick. Mm-hmm. Anything you ask for or you need, it's it's right there. Mm-hmm. That's true. Has that changed since since the beginning, since you first got out and started dealing with this, or is it still like that? You know, so for us, we've had an easier road, I think, because I've been such an outspoken advocate. And, you know, we had, growing up in Rhode Island, we had, Mike was probably, you know, one of a handful of people that, were, were injured being or wounded from Rhode Island. And so I developed relationships with our U.S. senators. And I remember one time he was still in um, and I was back in Rhode Island and he was texting me and he said, did you file a congressional complaint? And I said, no, what are you talking about? And he said, I'm getting screamed at. They're saying your wife filed a congressional complaint. And I said, no, I just told Senator Reid that they're, you know, being really bad to you about whatever. And he was like, that's a congressional complaint, Sarah. So I think like you, learning to use my voice and then telling others to use theirs has helped certainly like my family and those that we've been able to walk through this with. But overall, this is a humongous bureaucratic system that in many ways is broken. And I don't know that it's not going to be broken. As a wife, I'm just thinking for the people that don't have access to um, our local political leaders, what was it like for you the first time reaching out to one of your local senators or any kind of politician? I mean, did you, were you just so pissed one day that you're like, okay, yes. I'm going knock on this door? <laughs> 
well, and then I'm like, and another thing and another thing, you know, um, but but when you get to that point where you realize like our elected officials, they work for us and they they need to hear from us because if they don't, they can't affect that kind of change. And um, I'm grateful for all who are continuing to serve, you know, in public service. It's so important. And gosh, there's so many people that would be great at it that don't want to do it because oh, yeah. of the absolute just disgusting nature of how divided our country is right now. It's it's really sad. But I think ultimately, these are people who want to hear what's going on. And then when they hear, they want to do something about it. And it's our job to, you know, I tell my girls, like, speak. And I, and I stole this quote. It's not mine. But I say, you know, you got to speak up. And even if your voice shakes, you got to use your voice, even if you're nervous. Well, there's two different types of people. There's people who will speak up and say something. And then there's people who speak up because they want it and they'll go do something about it. I mean, mm-hmm. it, th- those are two different types of people. You need them, though. Yeah. For sure. So once you started getting their attention, did you see changes happening? We we did. You know, I saw some changes. I saw some from Mike, certainly, right away, um, which was which was nice. But then I just realized I had to – I couldn't be a passive participant in all of this. I had to be an active participant. So we moved to North Carolina and um, went to the VA hospital there. And I just realized it was the same thing, like a lot of delays, waiting for someone to sign a piece of paper so that items could be repaired or replaced. And I said, I've got to use my voice. So I wrote this, you know, very almost unhinged email to the hospital director and said, like, these are these are my list of grievances. Um, and to her credit, she wrote to me and said, well, then come on in and help me fix this. And, and that's where not I think we've got to give people right a there, chance man. to fix things. Like people at the top may not know these systems are broken. What made you want to move to North Carolina, though? Is there a certain hospital there that helps with his certain kind of injuries? No, really, not really. I mean, his, you know, a lot of our army family and friends were still at Bragg. So um, I didn't, I like love Fayetteville, but I just did not think that was where I necessarily wanted to live. Um, and so I needed to kind of headquarter the independence fund somewhere. And, um, and Charlotte just fit the bill. It's been a great city. We've been here for about a decade now. So getting on to independence fund, how did that start? So it started just with this mission for this this one man who's a volunteer who wanted to provide track wheelchairs to people who had been very severely injured. And so it started out in the halls of Walter Reed, wanting to give independence back to those who sacrificed theirs for us. And so um, the track chair program was teeny tiny when it started. And um, we've awarded more than 2,600 all-terrain track wheelchairs, about $42 million just in wheelchairs. Thanks for doing that, by the way. That's awesome. Yeah, those things are great. It's only a matter of time for, I mean, going from the prosthetics, some of the veterans that grew up out here, the Vietnam guys, you know, they were doing wearing the mannequin arms mm-hmm. or, yeah. or, 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 or nothing, period. And now mm-hmm. you're talking about them being I mean, able they, to they move run around. faster than me. That's not saying much, but I mean, like, <laughs> these guys are awesome. The stuff that this stuff, when, when our guys get busted up, man, they can fix you. It's true. They can. They, they really can. It's amazing. So did the guy that you met in the halls of Walter Reed that was doing this, did he ask you to come on board or were you excited about it? How did that happen? Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was just like an all volunteer effort, the right people kind of in the right place. Um, and then the organization was all volunteer for many years. I went on to kind of found many other programs. We've got about 10 programs um, in addition to the track wheelchair programs. And um we were just so proud of the work we've been able to do. We've been able to distribute more than a hundred million dollars in direct support to our nation's severely injured and their families. Gosh, by how the best curriculums show up as a loved one trying to take fix another one. Mm-hmm. It's like especially when it wasn't implemented. All these guys and girls are getting hurt afterwards. I mean, the the fundamentally, man, the path was walked by somebody who got hurt before you. And somebody cared enough to get in there and say, hey, this, this is how this has to go. This is, this is how we fix things, unfortunately. Right. But that's, that's yeah. how it gets done. It gets done the right way when, we, when it has to be done like that, too. When it's set in blood. Yeah. For sure. So you've been doing this for about 10 years now, the, the Independence Fund. And then I started hearing your name um, when the Ukraine stuff happened. How did you get involved with that? So we actually have to go back to Afghanistan when Afghanistan collapsed. Yes, and so, I'm sorry. That was first. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, August 2021, um, you know, my good friend, Nick Palmashano, he 
called me and this was like that time you guys know it you lived it like it was people were desperate to help our our friends our allies in Afghanistan and um, I had just this personal connection to Afghanistan because of my husband I'd developed programs with the Afghan government to um, you know bring U.S. veterans to the embassy and have that kind of experience and closure and so when we saw the writing on the wall when President Biden said you know all troops are pulling out and then the horrific botched frenzied way that withdrawal went down which much of that was so avoidable um when we saw that it was just heartbreaking to me and so i had actually been with the government here in north carolina in a meeting and i came out um and my phone was just blowing up and it people said you know kandahar had fallen and um so mike you know mike has a cell phone he doesn't really initiate communication, but he can receive communication and he like, he watches movies and everything. So I called um, my, my nanny for my girls and I called his nurse and I said, I am, I'm coming there as quickly as possible, but please power down Mike's phone. Um, And so I I got to the house and I said to him, um, you know, he sleeps in a hospital bed, like he needs 24 hour care. And I said, Mike, I have to tell you something very, very sad. Um, and I said, you know, Afghanistan and, and Kandahar specifically fell to the Taliban. And he he didn't say very much, which he's sometimes he's not super verbal. He's got a dog, Bravo, for his beloved Bravo company. And he kind of snuggled his dog. Um, and I shut the door and I heard a few minutes later, my nanny grabbed me and I heard like wailing, like just wailing coming from his room. And, um, and I went in and he, and he was, he was so upset. And I said, what's wrong? And, and he said, um, I, I just wish I could help those people. And so I realized like I had, I'd had to years earlier, like take over so much of his fight for him. And like this, this was going to be another, another time. Um, and I, I could not console him, but I could just promise him that I was going to try to make sure that like all of those sacrifices were worthwhile. And, um, and, you know, my girls and I were heading to the beach on vacation, which very sadly, our family vacations don't include their dad. Um, and I, I think that's probably part of what I may have skipped over in the in the story is that, um, you know, Mike's had 120 major surgeries since Afghanistan. And he um, he has a very severe traumatic brain injury. And so he does not, um, I always want to be respectful about how I explain this, but, and I rarely talk too much about this part, but, you know, he doesn't understand things at the level of an adult his age anymore, just for his um, ability to comprehend and his neuropsychological abilities are at an age that is, you know, far younger than his actual age. And so that's, it's been very challenging to navigate that. And, you know, he doesn't have bowel and bladder control and, you know, he just, he, he really needs full, full, full full-time support. So we go on these vacations, unfortunately, without their dad. And it's um like the sole parenting and all of that, that just the way my life has changed in, in so many ways is I've had to watch these declines for him. And just my heart is with him all the time because he's got such a good spirit about all of it. But, but the girls and I were going to the beach and Nick Palmashano called me and he said, I know you're really upset about Afghanistan. I know you're trying to help. I was trying to do a couple of things on the official side with DOD. And he said, um, you should call Chad because Chad has the ability to maybe get some more people out. And and I know Chad. And, um, you know, Chad had worked a little bit in the previous administration. We had done work together there. And so I said, Chad, what do you need me to do? And he said, there are just so many, like there's so much contact. And of course, I'm like, we need to put order to this. Um, and so I, I started just taking over all of that in processing. And I sent some of my staff to, um, UAE where they were going to, you know, meet these folks and figure out what would come next. Um, and I mean, everything from calling the joint staff and getting their support to clear our manifest, I felt like I had these really good relationships that I had built and I was willing to light every single one of them on fire if it meant being able to get people out of Afghanistan. So, I mean, I'm calling the personal cell phones of, you know, four-star generals and U.S. senators and people in the White House. And I'm um, I'm just trying to kick in any and every door I can, having, frankly, like no regard for what that could have done to my relationships. And thankfully, they were preserved, but I was also okay if they were not, because if someone did not care about Afghanistan at that time, it told me everything I needed to know about them. 
Um, and so I asked Nick Palmashano and I asked Tim Kennedy if they would go over and be part of this really like ragtag informal team we were putting together. And I would set up the the kind of operation center in DC to start processing these. And we were co-located with the government to do so. It's crazy how that started it ended, started in a fight. They attacked us. And at the end of the war, we were trying to save them. Right. 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 I mean, how about that? We'll yeah, talk about upside was... down. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm about? Yeah. That is crazy. But it, to me, I get asked to do a lot of things and I know how hard it is to actually coordinate all of that. Um, I mean, that that's another level, but just getting all of those people together and getting everything to fall in place in the time frame that you had to do that, that's a really incredible that's task superpower. that that's you did. That's a contact list you got, girl. <laughs> Well, it's not Listen, just the, the contact list. I hadn't asked these people. I mean, that's where when I say like, I had never asked these people for a thing ever. And so like I hadn't, even when things were hard for me and Mike at the VA, I was never calling in personal favors to fix it. And this was the first time that I'm like, oh, I have your number. Okay. I have your number. Somebody on the joint staff, I'm calling you. I have your number, U.S. Senator. I'm calling you. I mean, and I was just like, if you are not willing to do the right thing right now, then like you're going to be on the wrong side of history and I'm going to make sure of it. I mean, that's how worked up I was. <laughs> well, you, like, you did. know, we record this, right? Yeah. Oh, I know. See, I, I get <laughs> fired up about line. it again. Yeah, I'm yeah. fired up about it again, you know? That gets their attention quick. Like, hey, man, we record this. What side you going to be on? You need to get, there needs to be a medal for you or something, though. I mean, there's something that, like, no. People, no. I don't know. No. I just, I feel like you are very deserving of just this huge reward oh, for being able to do that. And that, that, that carries a lot of weight. The respect you get. Well, you know, I did. So I was in the U.S. completely safe the entire time. Like that for me, like my respect goes to the people who who did like they picked up their lives. Like, look at Nick. Look at Tim. I mean, everybody. Okay, So them guys to- love that. Yeah. <laughs> so you're talking about a section of man down here that 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 loves that kind of environment. <laughs> the fact that you facilitated that for those two specifically. <laughs> Oh Thank you. Okay. Thank um, you. They love it. They love doing that. No matter if they get their ass kicked, they love doing that <laughs> stuff. That's just how they're made. Well, I tell Tim all the time, because you know, he's just one of my like dearest friends on the planet. And I tell him all the time, the number of veterans, and sometimes I will lovingly call them the vet bros, but I say that with love, that write to me and say, like, you deployed Tim Kennedy to Afghanistan and Ukraine. Can I go? And they're sending me their DD-214s. And they're saying, and I'm like, you got to stop joking and telling people I like deployed you somewhere because now I get all these. <laughs> I, mean, I, I feel like we should make a movie out of this. It's because like, yeah. this one man deployed back. <laughs> yeah. Like you're actually you know I mean? <laughs> the military. Yeah. Like you're <laughs> Jack Bauer, and then you're the one, you're the handler, right? It's like, yeah, I got some badasses online. You want me to call them up? I just yeah. sent one man back in that. Yeah, it was great. No, it's great. I yeah. Mean, you can't make that up. It's really awesome what you did. I mean, there's a more professional way of saying it, but if you're looking for a cool movie way to say that, I feel like that's the way to go. But on top of just coordinating all of it and making, even when you make phone calls, not everybody gets back to you on time. I mean, I know that just from my own things that we've had to deal with. It's hard to get everything to fall in place in the time frame that well, you Well, yeah, because it. it usually never happens from the person you call. It's who they have to call. It's always, that. that's always the point. So the fact that your reach goes that deep. Yeah. I mean, but it also takes money. How did you... How did you actually get that money to be able to get everybody over there? And I mean, whatever it took, airline. I mean, it takes money to be able to do. No, I mean, this is this is the cool thing about those guys, and and you know, and you know, this Tim takes a lot of heat, and I'm um, sometimes I feel like I'm like mama bearish about him because like I I've seen his good heart on so many different things. Um, the way he showed up for my family over and over and over again. But, you know, they went over on their own dime. And when I say like I asked them to go and and that's every time because I have I've asked him to go to Ukraine. I've asked him to go all sorts of places and and all of these guys, some of whom, you know, their names and faces we can't talk about. Right. And every single time they say yes, no matter what they have going on. And it would also never occur to me that they would say no because of who they are. Um, so, you know, financially they paid their own way to get there. And then we just had this incredible outpouring of support 
um, from the American public. So I had said to Chad, I said, you know, I'm using this hashtag. I've been using this hashtag in August, save our allies. And I'm not even like big social media person, but I just felt so unhinged about all of it. Um, and I said, let's just, let's just throw our organizations together and call it save our allies for this movement, thinking it's going to be a couple weeks and done. Um, and that movement went from Afghanistan to Ukraine, and now we're looking at Taiwan. So, um, you know, we Save Our Allies has expanded our mission to help Americans and our allies in contested areas around the globe. Sounds like everybody's worked up. Every time we turn on TV, we turned on the news this morning. It was all every story was about a shooting, and like everyone wants to go fight. Like we just got done. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. For the last Where 20, 20 years, yeah. I was like right. everyone wants to catch up. I'm like, man, trust me, you don't. You don't want to have. To, you don't want to fight. It's not, especially with the tech we have nowadays. You can't make a movement without anybody knowing it. No. No. I mean, think about how we fought back in the day. You could move entire countries and people wouldn't know it. Mm-hmm. Now you can't do anything. I mean, not even firing up an engine without somebody knowing it. That, 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 so just think about the only way to win a war like that is, is way far away from each other with weapons that, that just kill indiscriminately. Right. Well, I remember going through Ukraine, like going through a checkpoint and I look over and and I also went into it with a lot of ignorance, like not really understanding what we were getting into and thinking this is going to be like Afghanistan. People are going to be rushing the the borders to get out. And at one checkpoint I'm going through and I look over and there's a woman like my age in a Range Rover with three little kids. And I thought like, this is so scary because this this feels like, like, like there's an Apple store. There's a Sephora. This feels yeah. like to be in America. And I remember the guy, C. Spray, our, who was our ground leader, he said to me, Sarah, you have to understand, like, this is this is not America versus Afghans or the, the Taliban. This is like everybody went to Harvard. You got to look at this war this way. Everybody fighting on both sides went to Harvard. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's a di- completely different dynamic. So with Save Our Allies, did you actually build that into a, like a legit 501c3 after the Afghanistan thing? We did. So it's a um so after kind of we everybody came back together and I I held a meeting for about 100 people including like White House, the cabinets, um any key stakeholders in DC about a month after the withdrawal. And um it was so great to see that people were still committed even if the White House was actively, you know, thwarting our efforts. The, the American people and all these NGOs were still really committed to doing right by our allies. And so we did. We formed it as a separate 501c3, which it is still today. Um, and we've been able to affect a lot of good around the world. And are you, so are you running that and Independence Fund still? So I'm the CEO of Independence Fund, founder of Save Our Allies. And um, but yes, I mean, I'm very involved. I, I serve you know, a lot of the liaison work with the U.S. government for what we're doing, um, I handled that part of it. Are they helping? I mean, do you feel like the government's actually doing something? So, you know, it's it, it's interesting. So I would say, like, for Afghanistan, it's it's tricky because I will, I will say this unapologetically that the White House um, wants to double down. You know, they called it an extraordinary success. Um, they, you know, John Kirby, who I have long respected and admired and, and really thought very highly of him, he just said that um, he didn't see any chaos around the Afghan evac or surrender, or whatever you want to oh, call it. Oh, you know it. that was his words? He didn't say that. <laughs> Somebody told him to say that. There's a couple I of times mean, when they come. Yeah. That's I, crazy. And, and John Kirby is one of the ones I mentioned. Like, I, I called his personal cell phone at 11 o'clock, you know, not too long ago about an issue. And he answered it. And he was, I have always found him to be like a just a stand up guy. Yeah. And then to hear him reading that, I was just shocked by it. So I'd say the White House wants us to move on from Afghanistan. They are not only not helping, I think they are actively in the way of groups who want to do good. Oh, sister, now, when it comes, man. Yeah. You know, it's like putting out a bad movie. Yep. Like they put out a bad movie and they're trying to get past that. Yep. 
Exactly. Exactly. They just want to, and we still have people in safe houses, um, you know, in Pakistan, we still have that we're waiting to get them to the U.S. They should absolutely qualify, certainly more than some of the people who got here kind of randomly because they were in the airfield during the evacuation. Yeah. Um, so so that's that's a tricky that's a tricky one. Now, when it comes to Ukraine, uh, we're well partnered with the government. So uh, because we've got to be very, very particular about like the OFAC compliance and making sure all of our I's are dotted and T's are sure. crossed. Um, we work in some cases co-located with with different government units and in other cases, like just with the permission and authorities, you know, that come with working kind of side by side. That's the only way you can get stuff done. Is you have right. to have those independents in there to, to get the ground intel. I mean, that's just mm -hmm. good on you, sister. For sure. You know what that breeds, though? You know what we're dealing with now when, when you come out of Afghanistan and we still have people there. This is where the Jason Bourne, all those crazy kind of movies going, guys sneaking in to get our guy. Yeah, the Cold War type stuff. This is how that happens. It does. So, you I mean, after all that fighting and, and those two wars for 20 years and we got sick, we all, we all got COVID together. You know, we got the flu. And then, <laughs> and then the ending to our favorite movie sucked. You know, Afghanistan was terrible. It was just kind of like, okay, now what? Right. Uh, here's some more chaos. You know, it's just always something with our generation. It seems like we kind of run into something. The yep. fact that we went in there to save the ones that we were fighting from the beginning to the end, there wasn't even a gap. They didn't <laughs> even gap our war before we went back yep. in there to help them. How crazy is that? Just the whole way. So, so one of the things like, and Tim, Tim, who is like the kindest person to me, he has like, he's yelled at me one time. And it's because whenever I say the Neo, I'm like, oh, you know, we have our next Neo. And he's like, that was not a Neo, Sarah. You have to stop calling it a Neo. It's not a Neo. You know, if it was a Neo, DOD would have been in charge. That is the hill he will die on. That's funny. He's great. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, the fact that you're running both of these organizations, you're a mom, you're a caretaker and you wrote a book is that right oh my gosh it doesn't really count you can't say i wrote a book it's a children's book it's like 15 sentences but yes i have a book can, can you promote that hey, can you talk a, about yeah. it because it is oh a big goodness. deal it's called hero at home um I think it came out in 2018. It was really meant, um, you know, my girls, my girls never knew anything was wrong or different with their dad until other people started to tell them because he's looked like that um, their entire lives. And so when they were very little, Grace, my oldest, you know, she went to preschool and somebody said, you know, Grace's dad doesn't have a leg. Um, you know, that's weird and gross. And so I wrote this book just again, kind of from a place of probably like anger, but wanting to give my kids some tools. Um, and it's been shared in, you know, hundreds of classrooms across the country. So that's been, that's been really special. Although now I think we, we may need some sort of sequel about these invisible injuries because it's, it was so much easier to explain it back then to my kids about like dad has a robot leg. Um, but explaining to them now is a, is a whole different ball game. Well, it helps out that we have all the movies out that you see people, I mean, it went from being something that people looked down upon or frowned upon, which I don't know how that even happened. Mm -hmm. Like, if you, if you have somebody lose something for you, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And now these guys are showing back up with those prosthetics that are just, um, I mean, they, they not only they, they like work, the robot. They, they freaking yeah. look cool. Yeah, they, you know, they're so cool. Yeah, they're Somebody's so cool. Eyes, I mean, oh my gosh, what they can do, like Garrett Carnes, um, you know, he he's this incredible veteran. He's worked for me and he also works at Sheepdog. And like I look at him and I think he is more capable of things than most, sure. you know, able-bodied people. Um, and it's just so inspiring because they have this like truly, like to your point, like never quit attitude. Yeah. It's just it's amazing to say the best of our country. You said something about Mike earlier that caught caught my attention, and it was um it was like he wanted to be military his entire life. Mm -hmm. I was like, the minute he got hit, he did. He, he became it. Yeah. Like our guys that get hit like that's an immediate stamp right on them. Because you always recognize them. Especially guys like that. Mm -hmm. Like some of them you can't see. Some of them you can. They got hit so hard on the inside, it came to the outside. Right. And the fact that he got hit twice, that happens to some of our guys and girls. But it gets yeah. overshadowed because, you know, one, <laughs> which is unbelievable. Yeah. That dude went back for some more. 
How yeah, about that? It is. I mean, but that's who, that's why I say like this time of year, that like April 10th to April 24th time frame, like from one ID to the next, I spend it in such a, um, like a period of like what could have been. And, and ultimately I had to find some peace even a couple of weeks ago for myself saying if he had not gone back out. And I, as I think like, would I have a husband? Would my kids have an, a father who talks to them and knows that they're his children, like how different life would have been. Um, and I think if he had not gone back out, he wouldn't be who I know he is. So ultimately, like I have to rest in that, that that is like the very, that is the essence of who he is. And he fought to fight again. I mean, it really is both you and him really embrace the never quit spirit. Um, you on a daily front with what you're dealing with now and him in that moment. Oh yeah. Good Lord. Patch y'all up. Yeah, for a re- I mean, put y'all together you, for a reason. Yeah. One's fuel for the other. For sure. Mm-hmm. You can see that. You can hear it. Yeah, I love that. So how can our listeners help you and help like everything that you've got going on? Well, I think, you know, in terms of the veteran side of the house, you know, one of the things that I feel passionately about is we need to help these these children who are living with the aftermath of a war that they never signed up for. And, you know, how we can rally around the kids of our nation's most severely injured. Um my my husband's brothers, his military brothers, they are truly brothers forever in so many ways. Oh, yeah. And um, my daughter said to me, Mama, why do you have two sisters? But but Dada has a hundred brothers. And um, and I think that understanding that these kids need so much support and and my kids get it, thank God. But I want I really want every single child living with um, you know, a different circumstance to understand and feel pride in their family's service. So I think reach out to the wounded veterans in your community and just help these families, the caregivers. There are more than 5.5 million caregivers in the U.S. Um, and just making the load a little bit lighter for them on this very long road home from war in any way possible. And then encouraging people to ask for help. I mean, that's the thing. You get it as a mom. I mean, you guys are a busy family. And the other night we come back from vacation and I had, you know, no childcare and I had no nursing care at my house. And so I'm trying to bathe four people, three children, one adult separately, of course, and then get, you know, four, I'm doing cutting four sets of nails and I'm getting four people ready for bed. And then I realized my daughter's like prized jean shorts that she wanted to wear the next day. I couldn't find them. And I thought, I mean, I, this feeling like I could just want to jump into traffic and I don't, but you know, I need to feel comfortable asking for help. And I asked one of my girlfriends, I said, can you please do me a huge favor? And can you bring a pair of jean shorts over for me for Gigi? And she, and she did. And she said to me after, I am so happy that you felt like you could ask me. And I said, you created an environment that, that I could. And that's what, that's the support that I want every single family like ours to feel. That's so true though. Cause anytime you like, we'll say, call us if you need help, you know, like whatever to local families and nobody ever calls because nobody ever wants to ask for help. But if you do, you would be surprised who will go mow your yard or who'll go Even if do they the- don't want to. Yeah. Who- yeah. They'll show up. But Even if they don't want to, yeah, man, they'll, they'll, show- let, they'll let you know about it. But they'll still, <laughs> it's the great humans, man. And it's for nothing in return that, other than going. to help. I mean, that people do want to help. I mean, just... Go do the dishes or go, you know, just go do some sort of (laughs) some small act of service to help somebody else put water out for the dog, whatever it is. And don't ask, just do it. Just show up. That's my thing is like, well, yeah, that's the thing too. Yeah. Just show up and do it. Just start doing it. Yep, exactly. That proactive thing, that's a big thing. When they're, like, they, and they love this. They all say it now. I say, like, when they're dealing with a hard time, I say, unless otherwise directed, I'm dropping dinner off at your house at 5 p.m. And and I love it because it it forces them to just accept that. Um, and, sure. and they can say, like, maybe they say, well, we just got dinner delivered. Okay, fine, then I'm doing it tomorrow night. Um, but you have to just, you have to, like, kind of force that help on someone to to really do it selflessly and to make an impact. Yeah, that's true. That's where the term grumpy old people come from. You know, it's just like, hey, I'm going to help you. And like, oh, I don't want you. you know, they're trying <laughs> right. to be nice. To, to I Sure. That's another yep. thing we deal with down here, which is which is something. But you can see it, and you won't probably won't ever hear it, but they'll tell somebody else, like, yeah, you know, they, she looks out for me. I, I don't know yeah. why she does, man, but she just does, you know. It yep. means something for sure. 
Well, we are super proud of you. Yeah. And we've never met job. you, but or I've never met you, but I am super proud of you, and I just want to give you a big old hug and hang out with you for a weekend. Oh, Rhode Island connection now. <laughs> I know, and this restaurant here in Charlotte. I mean, now we got multiple reasons. Make to sure get you together. text. <laughs> Texas when you go in there. Yeah. And I'm like, going to. It's got to live up to I'm that. serious, girl. You got matter of fact, we'll come down there next time and we'll all go we'll, we'll yeah, go eat. We'll ask you to go eat. So how thank can... you all for all you do. You guys you really are an inspiration to this whole country and I hope you know it. And um what an honor to talk with you. I mean, that's pretty amazing. So thank you. How can people um donate to save our allies or to independence fund or get involved? Sure. So get involved, you know, www.saveourallies.org or independencefund.org. And we need volunteers for both. So, um, you know, please check us out and just help us. I think spreading that message is the most important thing we can do for both organizations. Awesome. We'll do it. Thank you so much for coming right. on. Have a blessed day. Yeah. Hug Mikey from us. Yes. yes. Thank you All very right. much. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, everybody else, for listening in. We'll see you next week on Team Never Quit Podcast. Mm-hmm.